This podcast is supported by JBS International Incorporated through a grant award from the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, with 0% finance with non-governmental sources. The contents are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement, by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. For more information, please visit hrsa.gov. Welcome into another episode of Rural Roads, the Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rebolt with JBS International. Before we jump to today's episode, a few Hardcore TA reminders. Have you visited the Hardcore TA portal recently? Hopefully, that answer is yes, because it is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest and greatest Hardcore resources, info, and other opportunities. From the portal, you can dive into various toolkits or templates, engage with different learning modules on the LMS, visit our core corner and read past newsletters, rewatch past webinars, you get the idea. Also, be sure to connect with our Courtier on social media. You can find us on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome into another episode of Rural Roads, the Arcore podcast. I'm your host, Tim Raybolt with JBS International. And today we're kicking off season two of the podcast. And we are joined by JBS International president and Arcore TA's first project director, Jennifer Kasten. Thanks so much for joining, Jennifer. Oh, thank you for having me. So we wrapped up season one in this kind of neat episode, the, the finale, if you will, where we looked at our court over the, the past five years, and we had John and Alicia on and one of the original Arcore grantees and went over some statistics, not just about the podcast, but the program at, at large. And we're excited to be able to have you on to kick off this next you know season, if you will, of, of the podcast to shed a little light about what your experience was like as that first director and also for grantees and other stakeholders to get to know you. So I wanted to start, and it was funny enough, you were talking about a little bit before we started recording, um, just how you grew up. It sounds like a bunch of different places in the Midwest. I did grow up in a bunch of different places. And every time I talk about all the different places that I live, someone asks, where it was my family military? My family was not military. My father has an agriculture degree from Iowa State. And as such, he always farmed in some capacity and he worked for a satellite company that took over or bought sailing farms of every different type soybean corn in wisconsin we were actually on a veal farm but he took over farms of all types got them up to where they were producing or productive again and then we'd move on the other on the next farm so we were in all of your midwestern states wisconsin iowa indiana Michigan and moved, I think I moved 10 times by the time I was in third grade and then hit Illinois when I was in third, fourth grade. And my mom said, that's enough. And so he yeah. changed and switched to selling seed corn to farmers in, up in all of Northern Illinois, as opposed to farming the land itself. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of moving around. I think you get bingo for the Midwest bingo card. <laughs> And then, so masters of, of social work, right? Fast forwarding a little bit. So what drew you to the public health field and this kind of area of work in particular? My undergraduate under, is a dual degree in biology and psychology and I always wanted to mix healthcare and psychology and behavioral health. Um, and then worked for five years before going back with my master's 
worked in a lot of public health agencies, um, worked also as a, a lead of a 16-bed group home. So saw both kind of institutional side of care versus community integration side of care, and then decided I wanted to go back and do master's in social work, but more with a policy focus. And so there was a macro micro track at University of South Carolina and took the macro track, which was more research mm-hmm. policy oriented. Great. And was there anything growing up or in particular that drew you towards that? Any kind of either life experiences or it was just something that you saw needed to be addressed? My mother's in recovery and so grew up and it substance use addiction is uh, a large part of my mom's family history as well as the mental health. And so that's always been something that's been in our family and that our family has really addressed openly. And fortunately, our family has been able to help and support one another, even where there are, have been relapses and there have been relapses. If you, we need to go, if my aunt went back into different treatment programs multiple times throughout her life and recognizing that's where she was at that point in that time and that's what she needed. And so that's always been something that my family has had exposure to and I think probably influenced wanting to go in knowing exactly how difficult it is for the individual, for the family, for the community, and really wanting to have good support services in yeah. place where throughout my exposure and my family's exposure, you see a variety. There are really good support services and there are support services that are trying but just really don't have the resources to, to provide the support that they need to. Yeah. So I got in direct recovery when I was um, in high school and looking back in the moment, it feels like this taboo thing. Oh, not all these families are affected by this. I'm so unique or something, but oh my gosh, over time, I remember seeing at one point, one in three families are affected by substance use disorder. I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to half at this point. So fast forwarding a bit from there, what happened for you to get to GBS International? What kind of happened after the the degrees and the different kind of career paths that led you to GBS. I think a lot of kind of what happens to everyone that has a plan and then your plan goes sideways and you're like, oh, but I like this. And so when I graduated with my master's in social work, I did want to do research and I had the opportunity to work at another firm looking specifically at opioid addiction. At that point in time, the federal government was changing the way that oversight of then methadone treatment programs, opioid treatment programs were regulated. It was with the FDA and it was then switching to the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration to SAMHSA. And in so doing, they were changing the regulatory policy. So I got to be part of a pre post research study that looked at 172 opioid treatment programs in 15 states to see how the impact of the new federal regulation had on their service delivery, on their oversight, and what that meant to do that sort of major shift from FDA to SAMHSA. So that's, and it was an area I was interested in that I didn't know a lot about. By the end of the study, the five-year study, I ended up writing a book about it. (laughs) So so we learned a lot, but it was a 12-survey project. So it looked at cost data, it looked at personnel data, it looked at patient data. We would go in 
to individual treatment programs early, like 5 a.m. when you were, you were looking at dosing times and try to catch different people and different patients from all aspects of backgrounds and everything else. So it was a great experience. And from then, I was like, oh, there's some work to be done here. And that yeah. took off. And I ended up using the data from that uh, research study for my dissertation yeah. for my public administration PhD and fought for it. Uh, you know, you're looking at public administration, which is not directly substance use related, but I knew I, that's what I wanted. It, there's a big organizational theory component to how public health is provided. So I kept going back and going, here's my pitch. And they're like, yeah. So what does that have to do with public administration? I'm like, okay, let me try this. Let me try this. And so finally looked at the impact of mandatory regulatory change on small and a lot rural-based providers. Because when you've got a larger entity or a, a parent company that has multiple providers under them, regulatory change is easier. You've got more processes. You've got more structure in place. But the smaller, single-owned opioid treatment programs struggled with the regulatory mandate, and a lot of them closed. And so that was the basis, more or less, of my dissertation. Got it. And I was going to ask, too, when was the first time you're able to intersect that the rural experience with your subject matter expertise in this field and answered that? So when you started at GBS, well, first, were you already in the D.C. area? I was not. I was in North Carolina. Um, And the company that I worked for at the time partnered with JBS quite frequently. So I was very aware of JBS. And then just to add to my moving across the country, my husband took a job with Microsoft and we moved to Washington State. And so then we were in a rural area of Washington State, Carnation, where Carnation Milk is from, a lot of dairy. And then it was just so far away from East Coast, from my family still, my family is still in the Midwest. So as soon as Microsoft let uh, staff telework, I was yeah. oh, we're going back to the East Coast. Yeah. And as long as we went back to the East Coast, it made more sense to be closer to D.C. Got it. And then what was your role when you first started at, at JBS? And at this point, it's, it was 2009? Yes. So when I started at JBS, I came in looking at trying to integrate some different projects. And shortly after, and I had been working in screening, grief intervention, and referral to treatment and expert. And JDS was working on the expert evaluation. So I had work around the expert evaluation, which I had been doing previously. And then it was about nine months later that JBS started providing technical assistance to the discretionary programs for SAMHSA. And there were nine programs. And so then I stepped into that role and led that project across the nine different discretionary program areas. Got it. And then from the point you started another eight or nine years, how did our core come about? Like, do you have any memory of when the, you know, the first kind of announcement or, or notice and what the whole process looked like to bring our core TA to? So we had been, JBS had worked with HRSA in the past and some of our HRSA work had flowed and especially as SAMHSA work had picked up and had always wanted to find a different opportunity to get back and work with HRSA again and had been mm-hmm. looking at the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. Rural being important to me personally, but to JBS in general as well, especially with all of the technical assistance and the individual state work where you saw the impact of 
the lack of access to providers in rural communities and the different needs in rural communities. And I came from a research background also, and a lot of the state data that SAMHSA was and still collects, it's really hard to tease out the needs of rural communities as they're overshadowed by state data that doesn't necessarily capture the unique needs of rural when you're just looking at state and aggregate. And, and wanted to try to get back into trying to figure out a way to better look at and be able to address the, the needs of those communities. So Jerry Shaw, actually one of the co-founders, and I had been tracking it and then found the opportunity with our forum. We're like, this is a great opportunity to take the yeah. technical assistance framework we had been building, apply mm-hmm. it, and apply it to rural communities. And in opioid, which had been my background now anyway, and something that JBS had been involved in for decades. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like the perfect, not necessarily meeting of the minds, but yeah, intersect intersection of all those different things that you talked about. So yeah, logically it would make sense that you'd end up that first project director. Do you have any memories or things that kind of stand out in those early days about the formation of everything? I think because it was so brand new, it was Mm -hmm. a great partnership with JBS and HRSA because we really were like, we're building together Um, and we're not exactly sure how it's going to go, but really starting to try to better understand how the individual awardees were putting together their coalition. And then, and, and there, I think having a data background did help because I just like information and data. And we started to look at that, those initial cohorts and really capture all the similarities as well as the differences of the different entities that were coming to the table in individual awardee coalitions. And then be able to try to connect those and be able to have that peer-to-peer relationship with awardees and be able to build on that, um, but build this sort of background initial database on, wow, this is what we've got. You know, this is who applied, this is was awarded, and this is how they could come together and begin to find those energies and build from. And then there was enough momentum early on that very quickly they were adding cohorts. And we were like, okay, wait, all right, let's let's go. But at the same time, trying to figure out exactly how you could get the benefit of the planning awards to really then bridge to an implementation award. And then where did you start to see needs for sort of those more targeted or or specialized uh, areas for cohorts? Sure. Is there anything you could speak to in terms of the the overall growth over the past, over five years now, but... Yeah, our core TA, our core, the, the program as a whole, anything. So I attended last year's reverse site visit meeting and I told Alicia and John, when I walked in to the joint meeting room where the plenaries were, I was just amazed from our first meetings to what it had grown into mm-hmm. and the excitement and the collaboration and all of the interactions that you saw, it was amazing to see how much it had grown. Because really, at the beginning, it was, okay, is this going to meet the needs? Are we going to be able to show that it's meeting the needs? Even though we know communities are getting a benefit out of even just talking to one another, are we going to see enough impact improvement in the data to be able to say, look, this is the money is well invested. This is having, making a difference. Sure. And so I think that was also a struggle, even just trying to work on what would be the metrics that would capture not only the impact at the at the community level, but the impact of technical assistance 
itself and, and where was our role in being able to help those awardees move forward with their plans and their goals. Yep. And yeah, jump to, I was going to ask about the, the past year's uh, reverse site visit, because at that point, almost three and a half years separated, even just the, the, the previous in-person one um, in March 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And I always thought it'd be really interesting for the folks that were at that one to then be at the one that this past summer, because you can get pretty easily caught up in the work and, and a bit, to see it all in person, just how much growth, especially when uh, everyone is in the room and how many people are in DC for the first time, how many people it's their first Riverside visit. And then to hear some of the, you know, stories and, and yeah, just grantees sharing the impact of, of being together and just those interactions in the hallway and being able to meet their, some of their tells for the first time. It's really special. And I think today we're actually 60 days out from. Yeah. Very exciting. And, and, and I remember thinking the last reverse site visit meeting that we had right before sort of everything with the pandemic took off. I thought that was large. And then when I walked into the one last year, I was like, oh my gosh, because yeah. you just haven't been together in years. And it was amazing to, to just see the growth that has happened even during the pandemic when communities were dealing with a lot of other public health issues as well. The growth that still occurred and occurred simultaneously and that I know really our core supported addressing all public health issues that were happening at the time. It was just amazing to see and i'm anxious to the other one this year as well yeah no absolutely so the last few questions shifting a little bit just uh broader maybe in terms of your role kind of perspective and in, in your role now was there anything that you'd say you, you took away from your time specifically on our core ta that you still maybe apply today within the role as president of, of jbs so I think it is that notion of partnership and collaboration. It's so important to be able to work and find relationships that there's a base trust there that you can work together and that you're going to go ahead and, and solution together when something comes up. And there are lots of different bumps in the road or challenges that occur and you, nobody's plan goes exactly as they wrote it in a grant application or a, a business plan or anything else, really being able to have that comfort level to be transparent with that and say, here's where I am and here's what's happening. And I want to work through this with you. And I think we used a lot of that approach at the beginning to say very transparently, here's what's happening with the grantees, here's seven of the awardees, and we want to go ahead and work with her to figure out how to make that better. And so we did do that partnership together to be able to grow together and create something that built on lessons learned from each year, which is what you'd like to do. And now what I do, meeting JBS, same thing. We're going through organizational changes. Everyone is. There's a new different way to approach the work environment and everything else. So you're like, all right, lessons to be learned last year. How can we apply them this year? How can we be transparent about where we are, where we're headed? So I think I certainly use that in in my role now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for for sharing that. I feel like my I've only been with JBS two and a half years and do not have as much work experience as everyone else um, on the team. But the experience I have had on the Artcore TA team and with folks JBS wide feels like this really perfect encapsulation of 
the JBS mission and, and values and things like that, because it's it's really great people. The, the time that we get where the work hats are off, it's really amazing individuals, but the expertise is unmatched. And then they're everyone's so driven yeah. for outcomes and output. And I guess the question is, how do you do that? Like, how, how are you all doing that? Like, what's the secret? It's really amazing, especially when you talk to other folks in different fields and, and stuff. A lot of the frustrations that are common, I just don't experience or hear about at JBS. And it's amazing. So, yeah. How do you do it? I think that is credited to our co-founder, Dale and Jerry. They created from the beginning that type of culture and, and then continued to try to make sure that even as they knew they were going to transition into retirement, there was a leadership team that was going to be able to be true to that culture that they had created and really worked at being comfortable settling into retirement and turning over what was essentially their creation of three decades in a way that it would be true to that. And even come when I came in over 15 years ago, and having worked in other areas as well, there's just such an unbelievable drive and, and passion and JBS employees that, and, it, and it's jointly because regardless of sort of position within the company, it's one shared aspect that we all have. So it makes the organization yeah. feel very flat and very collaborative, which is nice. And I think you know, that's always been something that I've wanted to keep. Even you can yeah. grow bigger and still have that feeling. And and even though the company's grown over the last you know thirty plus years, uh, it's still that feeling of family and, and of passion that you get and you want everybody to feel when they come in the door. Yeah, that's a great way of, of putting it. The challenges lately, the in in the literal sense, the GBS challenges of like the walking challenge and those have been Fun and shameless plug. The R-Core T team has won first place two times in a row and over up for, for the third one to start next week. Yeah, it's been special. Final question. It's new year. Anything you want to say or I guess around hopes for this coming year, the years ahead from maybe like the JPS R-Core perspective, anything like that, that if you sit and reflect on and that, that, that kind of comes to mind in that sense you're always hoping for enhanced improved health and wellness in general um you're really looking for quality health care quality behavioral health but one of my concerns continues to be quality behavioral health and there aren't as many structured compliances around behavioral health as there are in healthcare, And so especially adolescent mental health, adolescent behavioral health is a huge need. And there aren't as many providers out there that are available to our adolescents. So for me, to be able to go ahead and think about where we can play a part in that, especially in rural communities, where there is still not a stigma per se, but a mentality of you're just I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to deal with this. And, and you know, that's a farmer mentality. I, I might be in pain, but this has to get done. And making sure that there are services and that we're being able to help communities address that, you know, in those communities and especially for adolescents. 
because there's a lot of need in that area. And so that's where I'd like us to make some, be able to put some commitments and, and address some initiatives in the future. Wonderful. Yeah. Great point to end on. Thank you so much for, for making yeah. the time to, to stop by the show and, and give some of the perspective and, and insight and experience. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. Once again, that was Jennifer Kasten, JBS International President and Art first project director. For the folks that were listening, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time.